I will declare. I will declare my choice to the nations. I will shout for joy in the congregation. I will worship God.
eyes There's a place Where streams of grace Flow deep and wide Where all the love I've ever found Comes like a flood Comes flowing down At the cross, at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you Where your love ran red And my sin washed white
Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for getting us through this week. Thank you for protecting us, and thank you for the Sabbath, God. Thank you for the cross, Lord. You are everything to us. You are our Creator. You are our Father, and then you became our Savior, and now you are our High Priest. You are our brother, our friend. You are everything, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you to our praise team. Did you enjoy the music this evening? I had a phone call this week, which was rather interesting. Maybe you've received a phone call like this before, too. It was a phone call from the alumni office of an educational institution. Now, personally, I think sometimes it takes a, oh, a little audacity for, for you to receive a call from an alumni office. What are they asking for? They're running some money, right? When you're still paying off your student loans at either that institution or another one. But, but the funny thing about this institution that I was receiving the phone call from is I've never attended that institution before. Now, I don't always answer the, my cell phone when I don't recognize the number because I've learned that it might be a call from the Internal Revenue Service, at least claiming to be, telling me that they're looking for me and they're going to arrest me if I don't take this call or, or that my credit card has gone bad or something like this. But I answered it this time and they said, this is the University of Florida alumni office calling for Gregory King. And we just want to touch base with you. You know how they make the call sound really nice, don't they? And so I decided to have a little fun with them. I was actually just walking into my office at Southern at that time. And I said, oh, I said, have you granted me an honorary degree? And I wasn't even aware of it. And the person started kind of stumbling and falling over. Oh, well, didn't you attend here? No, I've never been on your campus in my life. But, but if you want to grant me an honorary degree, I'm happy to receive it, especially if it comes with a trip to Hawaii attached to it or something like that. And about by that time, the lady was saying, uh, well, thank you for being nice to me, but uh, goodbye, I need to go or something along those lines. So. One other funny thing happened this week. It's nice to have some people here to listen this evening because... Earlier this week, I had a, a lack of confidence expressed in a team that I was on. I'm on a volleyball. Anybody here like volleyball? Enjoy playing volleyball? I'm on a volleyball team at Southern Adventist University because they let the faculty play too, and it's um, 
um, a team that has some faculty on it. It's captained by one of our biology professors, Dr. Tim Trott. And I was going into our game, into our match one evening, and I saw his wife, even before the match was beginning, she was walking the other way. And she said, it's not going to go well tonight. You're in real trouble. And I thought, what, what is this? I mean, you know, in the Bible, even David defeats Goliath, right? She said, you're in for real trouble. You're playing the number one team in the league tonight. And she wasn't even staying around to watch the, the level of destruction take place. You see, even though I'm on a team called Old School, that's a good name for faculty team, right? Old School. They bumped us up to A-League this year because I think they were lacking enough A-League teams, so they put us up there. And, and so I was hoping that it would be like a David and Goliath, but, but it did not turn out in the biblical way. We absolutely, uh, I, I can say that her lack of confidence was well-placed in us. I think the second game we got all of 10 points to the 25 for the other team, and it might have been by grace that we got some of those. So uh, my confidence was sagging a little bit this week on the volleyball court. So it's sure nice to see some old friends like Pastor Richard Lee, Pastor Jonathan Park. Uh, Some of you maybe know Pastor Joey O is in this area, my former student. And a number of you who have been my students at either PUC or Southern Adventist University, it's nice to have you here this weekend. Let's bow our heads as we open God's word together. Lord, we ask that you will speak to us through your word. We believe that you spoke through that word when it was given. And we believe that you still speak through that word by the aid of your Holy Spirit. May those words come home to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gary had a problem. He had a big problem. It was a gigantic problem, and it was a problem that some of my students at Southern Adventist University would like to have. You see, he had two girlfriends. Now, before I tell you his story, maybe I should tell you that the names have been changed to protect the guilty. He had two girlfriends. He hadn't planned it that way. But when he went to Pacific Union College, in his first year there, he had met Janet. And Gary and Janet had struck up a special friendship. They'd gotten acquainted with one another, and and, and that bond of friendship was strong. In fact, it was strong enough that, that when the end of that school year came, and Gary went away as a student missionary for the next year, it was with some tears and hugs for one another, and and pledges to keep in touch. There was no email and cell phones and so forth in those days. People actually wrote letters at that time. Pledges to keep in touch with letters and care packages from home and the like. And so while Gary was away on one of the islands in the vast Pacific Ocean, serving as a student missionary, how wonderful it was to receive those letters from Janet. Together with the care packages with her special recipe chocolate chip cookies. How much he enjoyed them. 
Now, he wasn't a very good correspondent himself, but he sort of consoled himself with the fact that, that guys don't do very well at writing letters, and, and, and I'll let her know how much I care for her when I return from this year. Well, when Gary returned to the campus of Pacific Union College for the following year of school, Janet's plans had changed. She had chosen a different major at school, which had led her to a state university, so she was not going to be coming back to PUC. And it made for some sadness for Gary and and some challenges for the relationship. But again, they pledged to keep in close touch with one another, to talk regularly. And Gary told her that he would be delighted to continue to eat her chocolate chip cookies with that special recipe. However, when Gary arrived back at campus at Pacific Union College, he began to notice some of the pretty scenery around campus. It was almost like all of the flowers had blossomed while he had been away, and one of the prettiest of these flowers was a young student named Becky. And Gary began forming a special relationship with Becky. And there was nothing wrong with the relationship in and of itself, except Gary did not tell Becky that he was still dating Janet. Now she had heard, Becky had heard about Janet's name, but Gary said that, well, that was kind of a past friendship and it's kind of over and, and sort of in the past and that type of thing. And nor, of course, did he tell Janet that he was beginning to establish a special relationship with Becky. Now, Gary knew that he needed to to tell Janet that that he was moving on in his social relationships, but, but he squirmed inwardly whenever he thought about it. He felt like a hill. After all, Janet had been so faithful with those letters and care packages from home when he had been out as a student missionary. And after all, what was wrong with a little insurance in relationship anyway? After all, his father had insurance on the home and on the car. What was wrong with a little relationship insurance? And so Gary continued down the road with two special friendships. He was, to use the words of a scripture passage that we will look at this evening, he was sitting on the fence. He was wanting to have it both ways. He was enjoying Janet's chocolate chip cookies in the afternoon and Becky's macadamia nut cookies at night. Until one memorable weekend when it all came crashing down. The trouble began on Wednesday evening when Janet called from the State University several hundred miles away. The phone in Gary's room rang. Some of you won't understand this because now you all have your cell phones, but there actually used to be phones in the dormitory rooms. That was the way that they communicated. And the phone rang in Gary's room. It was Janet calling from her home. Hey, Gary, I have some great thrilling news, she said. I found a ride to PUC for the weekend. Oh, that's neat, Gary said. 
but he was not able to muster much excitement in his voice. As soon as he got off the phone, he was wondering, how am I going to extricate myself from this hole that I am in? And about that time, as he was trying to think about the mess he was in, the phone in his room rang again. This time, it was Becky from across campus. Hey, Gary, you know I've been wanting you to meet my parents and my sister. They're coming to campus for parents weekend this weekend. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, wonderful, Gary said. The hole that he was in had become a Grand Canyon. It was threatening to swallow him whole. He wasn't quite sure what to do, but he told Becky, uh, Becky, look, you know my old friend Janet, uh, she doesn't seem to understand that things are over between us. She's coming to campus this weekend and, and I just need a little time with her on Friday evening to, to make things clear to her. Well, Becky wasn't very happy about that, but, but what choice did she have? Friday evening arrived all too quickly from Gary's perspective. The phone in his room rang again. This time it was Janet. She was in the lobby of the dorm at Newton Hall. Hey, Gary, I'm here. Let's go to Vespers together. And Gary knew he needed to, to take a walk with Janet to, to let her know that he had moved on with his social relationships. But, but he went down to the lobby and saw her. She looked so nice. He, he gave her a big hug. They walked off to Vespers together. Meanwhile, Becky's parents had arrived on campus. And, and they were disappointed not to meet her new boyfriend that evening. But Becky assured them, you'll be able to meet him tomorrow. And they were running a little behind time for Vespers. So they went down to the church. And they sat up in the balcony there at the PUC church. And of course, as soon as they sat down, Becky's eyes began scanning the audience down below. And, and there... Lo and behold, at the end of one of the rows, she saw Gary, her boyfriend. At least he was supposed to be. But as she looked a little more closely and just as she was pointing out to her parents, do you see that guy at the end of the second row there? That's not my new boyfriend. As they all looked closely, there was Gary sitting with Janet. And not only were they sitting together, but you see, Janet had been missing Gary and, and their hands were intertwined and kind of stroking one another tenderly and, and, and it was uncomfortable for Becky to look at and her parents said, are you sure that is your boyfriend? If that is your boyfriend, he is sure fond of his sister As soon as Gary arrived back in his room from Vespers that night, the phone rang. It was Becky from across across campus. And this time her voice had a rather sharp edge to it. There was no exchange of pleasantries. No soothing greeting. Gary, she said, you've got to make up your mind You've got to get off the fence.
And those words that Becky stated to her boyfriend, who later became her husband, and I probably shouldn't say this, who was my (laughs) brother-in-law. Those words, I believe, are applicable for us this evening. As we gather here, as we meditate on a story from the Word of God, That message, get off the fence, is appropriate for us. Why? Because so many people, so many church members, so many Seventh-day Adventists are on the fence. We want to have it both ways. We want to know God. We want to go to heaven. We claim Jesus as our Savior. But we also continue to cling to things that are detrimental to our Christian lives. In fact, honesty compels me to say there is a fence-sitter within each one of us. You remember, the Bible tells us the last day church is the church of Laodicea, right? What is the element of that church? It is neither what? Hot nor cold. A few months from now, I will have the privilege of of traveling again to Laodicea with a group doing a New Testament tour. And I've been there several times before. And, And one of the things that is very vivid that you can see there is these water pipes where the hot springs used to flow from a nearby place called Harapolis. And as the hot water would flow through the pipes, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And people have said before that that hot water is good for bathing, cold water is good for drinking, lukewarm water is good for nothing. Neither hot nor cold. The Bible tells the story of some people sitting on the fence in the time of Elijah. And I'd like to consider a few verses from 1 Kings chapter 18 this evening, from the story of Elijah and that thrilling story of what happened on Mount Carmel. You may remember that a terrible drought was gripping the land. Crops were withered. The ground was parched and cracked Devoid of moisture. And and not only was the ground parched and dry. But the spirituality of the people was parched and dry as well. Oh yes, the people worshipped the true God. At least they claimed to do so. But for some insurance, they worshipped Baal. The so-called God of storm and rains. And they forgot that Yahweh, the true God, the God of heaven, demands soul and undivided allegiance. They were sitting on the fence. And it is true, my friends, that that sitting on the fence leaves one spiritually parched, spiritually thirsty, spiritually dry, just like Death Valley, a place not so far from here. And you remember how the story goes, Elijah had gone in courageously in front of King King Ahab and had announced, there will be no dew, there will be no rain until I say so. 
And several years had passed, and then Elijah appeared again to Ahab. He challenged him to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And I'd like to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent out to all the Israelites, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah stepped forward and said to the people, How long... Will you waver between two opinions? The New English Bible translates it, How long will you sit on the fence? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But not a word did they answer. I want to say this evening that that question of Elijah echoes down through the centuries. How long? How long? How long will you sit on the fence? Someone might ask, well, how do I know if I am sitting on the fence? I'd like to suggest two signs, two indicators when one is sitting on the fence. Number one, if we say that we love Jesus, if we say that we want to know him, But we aren't truly pursuing a relationship with him. We aren't taking time with him. We are sitting on the fence. I remember when I began dating the one who would become my wife. It was right here in Loma Linda, I might add. We got married at the Campus Hill Church. And we met at Sabbath school. Yet another good reason to go to Sabbath school The only one of us who could sing, that would be my wife, was up leading song service. And I was attracted by her energetic and enthusiastic singing. And we ended up at the same place for Sabbath lunch together that day. A good reason to invite some guests over occasionally. And we ended up at the same place for Sabbath lunch and ended up spending the day together. She was working in the neonatal intensive care unit of the Loma Linda University Medical Center. And I was taking a summer of clinical chaplaincy at Patton State Hospital. Some of you maybe know where that is. And so our schedules were a little different because she was working the 3 to 11 shift and I was basically on an 8 to 5 shift. But I tell you that every opportunity I could find, I was there at the hospital to be with her. When she got off for her supper break, I was there. And then when I went back to Georgia and was working in church planting, we had so many phone calls and and there weren't cell phones with unlimited minutes plans at that time. I felt like we were keeping the whole phone company afloat with our long distance calls. And we even wrote letters to one another. Yes, people sent letters through the mail in that day and age. There was no texting, no cell phones, but we found a way to communicate. And sometimes I would get up in the middle of the night with the time difference, maybe 2.30, a.m. my time. She had gotten off work at 11 or 11.30 at the hospital, and, and we would talk for an hour, an hour and a half on the phone. And you might say, well, Greg, what did you talk about? I don't know. We were in love and still are (laughs) 34 years later. 
But do you see my point? We were pursuing a relationship with one another. We were taking time from our otherwise busy schedules to deepen our friendship together. And the question that I would ask you this evening, the question that I ask myself, am I pursuing a friendship with Jesus Christ with the same intensity, with the same devotion as I pursued a friendship with my wife? What is it that Scripture says? As the deer pants for the flowing streams. You know where I'm quoting from in the Psalms, Psalms 42. As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so my heart pants for you, O God. Have you ever been thirsty before? I mean, really thirsty. One time I was up in the Smoky Mountains and had climbed up a place called the Chimney Tops. Maybe some of you have been there before up near Gatlinburg. And we didn't take adequate water along. And, 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 and boy, those, those mountain streams looked so, looked so appealing when I was walking back. But I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't drink of them. And, and so I waited until I got back to the bottom from that, from that arduous hike. I was so thirsty. I felt like I was about to die of thirst. I wanted water so badly. And I wonder if that's not the same thirst we should have for a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses in the prophet says, and I'm sure you've heard this verse before, you will seek me and find me when you, how does it go? Search for me with what? All of your heart. Sometimes we seek God in a a feeble and shallow and half-hearted way. God wants us to seek him with all of our hearts. Sometimes I believe as pastors we make a mistake and and I've made this mistake myself at times. Sometimes we will say, well, just just take a, a little time with God. Just take a little time with him and, and, and that will satisfy your need for a relationship. Think about the audacity of that for just a moment. A little time with the Lord creator of the universe? I would say this evening that he is deserving of the best of our time. That is one of the reasons why he asks us to remember him one in every seven days so that that day might be safeguarded in some ways as we set aside time in a special way to spend with him. Remember the Sabbath day. What is the the Bible says? To do what? To keep it holy. If we say we want to know him, but we aren't investing in that relationship, we are sitting on the fence. Another indicator I want to mention, if we claim to be a Christian, if we claim that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, but our actions are in stark contrast to that claim, in other words, if our behavior contradicts our profession, then we are sitting on the fence. 
I want to say something briefly about the role of works in the Christian life. It's, it's something that sometimes Christians, sometimes Bible students, sometimes Seventh-day Adventists get confused about. What role do the works play in the Christian life? One of the purposes of the works that, that God wants to produce in our lives is that these works, this fruit of the Spirit, testifies to others that Jesus is Lord of our lives. In other words, when our lives display the Christian fruit, it will show other people that Jesus is alive in our hearts. Fasten your seatbelts for a moment because I want to mention a couple of specific issues that, that concern me, that concern me as I interact with students on a regular basis. Sometimes as I, I dialogue with them, it's almost like that they have concluded that, that some things that we used to emphasize as a church, that, that maybe they don't matter so much anymore. And so if I go to a party and, and if I drink just a little alcohol in moderation, that, that maybe that's okay. Or if, yes, I know that in the Bible Jesus calls me to moral purity, he, he calls me to reflect his glory, but, but if I take a little time to, to look at impure in, images on the internet or to to go to entertainment that is not appropriate for a Christian, that it won't really affect me. Sometimes people will say in the day and age in which we live that, well, Pastor Greg, people are starving in the world and wars are taking place and terrorism and and sex servitude and all of this type of stuff and and so do do things like alcohol or pornography and do these things really matter i believe this evening my friends that we live in a world where people are desperate to see individuals who are truly living up to the beliefs that they hold. Do you agree with that? We live in a world which which is yearning and longing to see people who are living faithfully to the convictions that they claim to hold. People who are living with integrity. And when our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we want to treat the body in that way, do we not? When Jesus wants to dwell in our minds, he wants our minds to be holy and pure, to be transformed by his grace. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It is true, abundantly true, that Jesus loves us just the way we are. Each one of us, individually and personally. But it's also true that he doesn't want us to stay that way. He wants to transform our lives. He wants to make us whole. He wants our lives to reflect the glory of his character. 
you might say, in some respects, that the fruit of the Spirit, Christian works, that they are like the uniform that we wear. Is what it, it is what is visible to others. Did anybody watch the Super Bowl a few months ago? A few weeks ago, I should say. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Well, it had a rather disappointing conclusion for me because even though I was from the southeastern United States, I had kind of started liking the Rams when I was a boy. And so they had played in Los Angeles and then traveled to St. Louis for a number of years and then back to Los Angeles. And and also, I, I heard that there were two types of fans at the Super Bowl anyway, those who were for the Patriots and those who were for anybody but the Patriots. Does that make sense? So I was for anybody but the Patriots. And so it was disappointing, but, but imagine a scenario at the beginning of the Super Bowl. What if Coach Bill Belichick, and if you follow football at all, you know who he is. What if he had looked out on the field before the start of the game And there was his star quarterback, you know what his name is, right? Tom Brady is out on the field and and warming up, but, but instead of the Patriots uniform, what if he had on the the golden horns on his helmet and the deep blue and gold uniform of the Los Angeles Rams? And he's warming up and he's getting ready to play. And so Coach Belichick strides out onto the field and and taps his star quarterback on the shoulder. Hey, Tom. Yeah, Coach, what you need? What's up with the outfit? Well, what do you mean, what's up with the outfit? Look at what you've got on. Yeah, I've got clothes on. Yeah, but... Look at them. You have a Los Angeles Rams helmet and a Los Angeles Rams uniform. Oh, coach, it's okay. Inside, I'm a patriot. You know what I am inside, and, and, and other people will see what I am inside as the game progresses, and, and I'll always be a patriot. Belichick would not go for that, would he? He would demand, whose side are you on anyway? Who are you playing for? And so it is, my friends, if, if, if my life is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, if my life is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, in the great controversy, people may start to wonder, whose side is he on anyway? If we are sitting on the fence, and I have suggested we all are in some way, I don't want you to be devoid of hope, because the rest of this story shows what to do. The solution is simple in this story. We must get off of the fence and get onto our knees. The story continues in 1 Kings 18, verse 22. Elijah said to the people, I am the only prophet of the Lord still left, but there are 400 
and 50 prophets of Baal. Bring two bulls. Let them choose one for themselves. Cut it up and lay it on the wood without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other one and lay it on the wood without setting fire to it. In other words, they're going to have a contest. You shall invoke your God by name, and I will invoke the Lord by name. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people shouted their approval. Picture that in your mind's eye. The prophets of Baal preparing their altar. They danced around it. They turned and twisted. They gyrated their bodies. They did all types of contortions, pleading with Baal to send fire from heaven. They turned on their boombox. Well, they would have if they had had one. And nothing happened. And so Elijah decided to have a little fun with them. Verse 27 of 1 Kings 18. At midday, Elijah mocked them. Call louder, for he is God. It may be he is deep in thought or engaged or on a journey, or maybe he's gone to sleep and needs to be awakened. One of the words that Elijah uses in Hebrew can mean maybe he's going to the restroom. Elijah is poking fun at them. And so the prophets of Baal cried still louder. And as was their custom, they gashed themselves with swords and spears until the blood ran. Listen carefully to verse 29. All afternoon they raved and ranted till the hour of the regular sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no answer, and no sign of attention. There's something sad about that, is there not? You see, if we choose a God other than the living God, we can cry out all we want, but the response will be silence. It will leave us in pain, bereft of the only one whom to know is life eternal. And then finally, picture that scene in your mind. It was Elijah's turn. Elijah's turn. He fixed up the altar of God. He prepared the bull. And then in a strange move, he commands that it be drenched with water. Three times they soaked it with water. He wanted to make sure that that everyone knew that it was not sleight of hand, that it was not magic, that it was not something that he had done in a mysterious way that enabled the fire to consume the offering. And then 1 Kings 18 verses 36 and 37. At the time of the regular offering, the prophet Elijah came forward and prayed. Lord God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant 
and that I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, and let this people know that you, Lord, are God, and it is you who have brought them back to their allegiance. Isn't there something beautiful about that? A simple prayer. No wild gyrations, no incantations, just a direct and uncluttered request to the throne of heaven. And what is the response? Verses 38 and 39. The fire of the Lord fell, consuming the whole offering, the wood, the stones, and the earth, and licking up the water in the trench. And at the sight, all the people bowed with their faces to the ground, and they cried out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. In other words, they got off of the fence, and they got down on their knees. No longer are they sitting on the fence. No longer are they people who want it both ways. No longer are they those who want to worship the true God and worship Baal as well. They are off the fence and down on their knees. And do you remember what happens in the remainder of the chapter? What happens? God's reign begins to fall. Not a sprinkle, not a shower, but a downpour like some of the rains you have had here just lately, right? A downpour. No longer was the land parched and dry and cracked. Rain, sweet rain, was falling. And I believe that has a message for us tonight. If we are clinging to things that separate us from Jesus. If we are dry and parched. If we are running on fumes, running on empty. If we will get off of the fence. God's precious rain. The showers of blessings will fall in our lives. And there's one more point I want to make before the praise team comes up again. Sometimes it is unsettling for people to get off the fence because sometimes it means change. Sometimes it's a little scary. Sometimes people think, well, life won't be the same as it was before. But what I want to say is if we get off the fence and get on our knees. We don't do it alone. One Sabbath afternoon, my family was out for an afternoon walk when my sons were very young and we were walking on some of the property up near Pacific Union College. Some of you know that property pretty well because you were students there. And on that walk that particular day, we had been walking for a while and and the trail that we were on came to a dead end. Well, in some ways it came to a dead end. It, It abruptly came up to a fairly high fence. And we didn't want to go all of the way back 
to walk all the way back to our car. But, but the fence loomed in our path, so there was only one choice. And, and it wasn't maybe a very professorial thing to do, but I, I climbed over the fence, hoping that campus safety wouldn't come at that time. And, and my wife, I helped her, and she climbed over the fence as well. And, and then it was time for my sons, who were quite small at that time, to, to climb over the fence. And, and I remember when my youngest son, he got up to the top of the fence. And, and although it wasn't that high of a fence, he was just a little tyke. And so it seemed like it was about 15 feet tall to him. And when he got up, perched precariously on the top, his, his face had a perplexed expression on it. Sort of like he thought he was in danger. And so at that point, I extended my arms to him. And when he saw his father with outstretched arms, he looked down and smiled. And he knew it was going to be okay because he was getting off of the fence into the arms of his father. When we... Get off of the fence. We go into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father who is ready to receive us. The praise team has a song to share with us now. Thank you. 
Lord, we have heard your voice speaking through this ancient story, a story that took place on Mount Carmel some 2,800 years ago. We have seen how the people who were there that day had been sitting on the fence, but on that day, they got off the fence and they got on their knees. Lord, as we are gathered here this evening, it is appropriate for us to respond in the same way. So if you would like to symbolically respond to this story, I'd like to invite you to kneel just where you are, to symbolize getting on your knees just like they did in ancient times. As we kneel together in this sanctuary, Lord, I want to pause this prayer momentarily and give each one here the opportunity to express the commitment of his or her heart to you. So I'm going to pause the prayer for a few seconds. And if there's something that you would like to say to Jesus individually and personally this evening, as the music continues to play softly, Just say the words of your heart to your Lord on high. forgive us when our commitment has been shallow when our loyalty to you has been feeble when our pursuit of you has been apathetic when it has been half hearted tonight we are off of the fence we are on our knees and we just pray that the the rain, the outpouring of your spirit will come into our hearts. That is our prayer on this Sabbath. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. At this time, we want to invite everyone to continue uh, having a quiet time with Jesus. Uh, Just spend some time in self-reflection, just continue talking to Jesus uh, about where you are and about um, about coming off of the fence. And so, uh, when you are finished having your quiet time, please uh, quiet exit leave from the sanctuary in respect for those who may still be uh, talking to Jesus. Um, so we invite you guys to do that now.